you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to James chapter number 3. James chapter number 3, we're going to continue our series on genuine Christianity. And as you're turning there, I do want to welcome back uh, Larry and Miss Patty. They were... Uh, They turned a three-week vacation into a two-month vacation, and we were missing them greatly, and it's good to have them back uh, with us uh, this morning, and back in the valley, back home, uh, right, with us, and so it's so so great to to see them, and it's good to see each and every one of you, to be honest. I know uh, this summer has been, um, it's just been a crazy summer. I know it's been a busy summer, and and I don't know, uh, I know I'm, I'm, I'm still young at 37, but I feel like the world just keeps getting faster and faster and busier and busier, and, uh, and so it's just, it's just crazy to, uh, to notice that as you get older, and uh, I feel like, first of all, we got to this summer faster than we got to the last summer, and then I felt like this summer's just been so busy. I know there's been so many activities of going uh, places, and it's not all just been vacation. There's been a whole lot of work, it feels like, uh, throughout this summer. And, uh, and so it's just, and now we're going into the fall and school is going to be starting and uh, it's just, it's just going to go even faster moving forward. And, um, but saying all that and with all that being said, it is nice to, to stop every Sunday morning and pause and give our time uh, to God's word to hear what God has to say and to grow in our faith, to grow in our walk with God. And there's always, it's always a, a major um, uh, recharge, I guess you could say, of, uh, of being just ready for the week and, and to hear from God. There's nothing, nothing like hearing from God. There really isn't, uh, no matter how, um, how great it is for me as a Cowboys fan to hear that Dak Prescott might be starting again soon and all this happening. Oh, that doesn't really compare. It doesn't really matter. When you, when you just hear from God, there's, just, there's no news like it. Um, there's nothing that can compare to it. And, uh, and it's just wonderful to be able to do that every, every Sunday morning for, uh, for at least an hour and a half or so. Come together, sing and praise God, and then grow in His Word and hear from Him. So, so glad that you're here this morning. James chapter number 3. And we're going to continue and finish the chapter uh, this morning. We've already learned in this chapter that this chapter really focuses on the power of our faith. Chapter 1 is the perspective of our faith and how faith uh, should flow. Everything that we see in life should flow through the lens of our faith. And so James is challenging the Christians, listen, I know you've been spread out. I know that uh, because of circumstances, we, we can't all be gathered together as we once were, but if I can challenge you in something, be sure that the perspective that you have of where you're at goes through the lens of your faith. Uh, and then he challenges us in chapter 2 is about our practice. Make sure what you do in your life, the decisions you make, flow through the lens of faith. It is so important to understand that our faith is not just to influence how we think, it's to influence how we act. Then in chapter 3, he goes into the power of our faith. And the power of our faith is found in the message of the gospel. Uh, Paul said it this way in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. When you get to chapter 10 and verse 17, Paul says, Now, 
How are they going to hear about this gospel, about this power, except there be a preacher? And how can there have a preacher if no one goes? That's why the psalm says, blessed are the feet that take the gospel, the precious news of salvation. That's why it's so important for us to understand that the power of our faith flows through our mouth. So James takes, what is it, 18 verses here to talk about our, our tongues, our mouth, what we talk about, because the faith, the power of our faith flows through that. And we found as we studied this chapter uh, in verse 1 and 2 and, and 3 and 4, we, we, we learned that uh, there's a warning that he starts with. And he says, listen, uh, the, because the power of God is so great and it flows through our mouth because we share that power by speaking, he says, understand that when you speak, there's a great responsibility in that. Understand that there's a great accountability in that. Okay, that God has given us this uh, as a gift for us to share, but at the same time, you need to be responsible to, first of all, actually share it, and second of all, understand that you will give an account, and I will give an account, as to are we sharing what was given to us. And then we learned about the importance uh, in verse number 4, 5, and 6, the, the importance of control in that, right? And he, he uses the picture of the bridle, to bridle our tongue and the rudder on a ship that directs the ship. And when we made two quick applications, we said we need the Word of God to work as a bridle to control the pressures that we have in us because just like a horse is naturally wild, our nature, just ourselves, is naturally wild. We don't want to obey. It's not our desire to obey God's will. Uh, that is something that we uh, we have to choose and by the power of the Spirit can do. And so he says, you, you need to control your tongue from the pressures within, from your own nature, and then from the pressures without. Just like a ship can be driven by the winds of change and by so many winds of doctrine, he said, be sure that you use the Word of God as a rudder uh, to help guide you. Make sure that your mouth is something that's giving guidance uh, by that word, uh, guiding your life, and not something that is just way out of control. We learned last week that then he continues explaining uh, in verse number six, be careful because of the nature of your tongue. The reason you need the bridle, all right, uh, as a horse needs a bridle, the reason that you need a rudder like a ship needs a rudder because of the storms, uh, the reason is because the nature of our tongue, it's just wild. He says it's like a fire. It can, it can destroy. It's, it's, uh, it's hypocritical on its own. It's untamable, unruly, lawless by itself. And if you are not careful, you can use your mouth to do a lot of damage. Damage to the cause of Christ. You can damage uh, the, the, the heart and soul of your son, your daughter, a co-worker. Uh, words can be piercing, but words can also be uplifting. Uh, the, the, in Proverbs, uh, the, the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, says, man, a word fitly spoken is like pictures of ap uh, 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 apples of gold in pictures of silver. They just stand out. They're sweet. They're, they're something beautiful and, and contrasting. And, and it's just something that he says, that's, that's, that's the power of words, of what we can do. So when you're sharing, understand uh, that you got to control that. you got to control yourself. 
uh, control your tongue, control your words, control your mouth, because by itself, the tongue, its nature is crazy. It's unruly. And then we come to our passage this morning. And it kind of, he kind of pivots a little bit. After giving us the warning, after giving us the reason of why we should control our mouths and the nature of our tongue, uh, after sharing with us the word of God is to be a bridle and, 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 and as a rudder in our life, then he asks a very piercing question. And he, and he explains this new truth to us that I want to share this morning. And that is this, that our talk is telling others just how wise we are when we do what we do. Your talk and my talk, what we say is telling for others and how wise we are and what we do when we do it. And now there's no separating our talk from our walk. In chapter 2, he was saying, hey, there's people that are all talk and no walk. And he said, listen, I want to challenge you. Hey, have faith in your life that is displayed by the works that you do. In chapter 3, he's saying, hey, there's a lot of people that are all walk and no talk. And he said, let me assure you that that's not the way either. You're all about works, but you're not about sharing. You're not about uh, controlling your mouth. And he says, that's, that's not genuine faith either. Your talk should match your walk. You see, others will discover exactly who and what we are when we begin to convey using our tongue, our thoughts, and our actions. Now, we begin to show them who we really are. And this is why James explains how important it is to use our tongues wisely. So this morning, it's a very simple title, The Tongue's Wisdom, because that's what James wants to talk about now. Right? There's some wisdom that we can use when we control our tongue. Notice what it says in verse number Seven, okay, or verse number 13, I'm sorry, verse number 13 of James chapter 3. He says, Who is a wise man and endured with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Let's pray and ask God that he would guide us as we study on the, the wisdom of our tongue. Let's pray. Father. I pray that this morning as we jump into this passage, as we challenge our faith to be genuine and sincere and real, I pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us. Give us understanding of your word, for your word teaches us that the unnatural man cannot receive your word, but the spiritual only. And so, Father, I pray that you give us a heart uh, that would be spiritually minded this morning, that we would hear with the intent of understanding and obeying. We don't want head knowledge this morning. Father, we want true, true wisdom. And so I pray that you would help us to do that. Give us your spirit this morning. Control us. I pray that your spirit would fill me, that I might communicate the message you've laid on my heart. 
and that we would be receptive of your word this morning. And I ask all this in Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. Now, there's an expression that we use in the English language uh, where we say, I just put my foot in my mouth. You ever heard that expression? Uh, I, I found this little like uh, cartoon thing that kind of explains that it gives you a meaning. And it says, to put your foot in your mouth is to say or do something that offends, upsets, or embarrasses someone else. To say something inappropriate. And then it gives an example. He's seen, seen that Mary is a little bit larger than normal. John goes and says, hey, uh, so Mary, uh, when is the baby due? And Mary says, I'm not pregnant. John just put his foot in his mouth, right? He just said something that was not right. It, it was something that he spoke out of turn. Now, someone that is wise will use their mouth not to be sticking their foot in it, but rather to be using it for the furtherance of their faith, for uh, sharing of the power of our faith. So this morning, I want to share just with us briefly uh, the power of the tongue to be wise, the power of the tongue to be wise. I want you to notice, first of all, there in your notes, as you look at verse 13, you find a declared truth. Now, James, be James begins with an interesting question that leads to a declarative truth. And this question is, who is wise, he said, among you? Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Uh, it's, a, it's a question to try to get their attention now. Okay, we, we've talked about how unruly the tongue is. We already talked about the dangers of it. So now let me ask you, knowing all that, how do you know someone is wise? How do you identify someone that has wisdom? Is it by their grade point average or the degrees hanging on their wall? Sometimes in our world we think, oh, that guy's got a doctorate. That guy's really smart. He's got a lot of wisdom. Sometimes people look at success and they say, oh, man, his business has grown so big. He, he must be a really wise person. Sometimes we give that title to someone that is just really good as an orator. We do this all the time with politicians. Oh, did you hear him speak? Oh, he's so wise. He didn't say a whole lot and didn't, does a whole lot less, but, but just the way he sounds, he is so wise. And so James is thinking about this, and he's already put the warning out. He's still talking to those that want to be teachers, that want to share that power uh, in verse number one, he, he warns, right? And he says, hey, careful. There's responsibility, there's accountability. Now he refers back to it and he says, by the way, you that do want to teach and share your faith, how do you know that you're doing it wisely? How do we evaluate that? And that's where James gives a declarative statement here. Right after he asked that question, look what he says in verse 13. Let him show... Out of a good conversation, and now that conversation doesn't literally just mean words that you have in communicating with someone. That word really literally means your lifestyle. So out of a good lifestyle, out of a good uh, uh, testimony of making good decisions in your life, with his works, with meekness of wisdom. So he says, let me give you a declarative statement, all right? This is it. How do you do it? By proving, by proving with, he says, your works. All right, with meekness of wisdom that your, your walk backs your talk. 
that what you talk proves what you walk. So, so here, here's, here's the thing. That's how we know if someone truly is living wisely, speaking wisely. So he starts with wisdom's proof. Wisdom is shown through a life, he says, of good works, good decisions, good attitudes, good communication, good motives, good thoughts, a good heart. All that tells you right there, ah, this person has some wisdom. It seems like the decision that they're making in life leads to joy and happiness. It leads to contentment. It, it seems like it leading to blessings in their life. So we see that they have some wisdom. It's proving that. It's proving uh, in their life, proving that their talk is actually something that brings fruit in their life. And so in Matthew chapter 7, we see something similar that Jesus said. Look at verse 24 and verse 25. He says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Jesus says, see, when, when, you, when you take the words and then you apply them in your life, it's, it's a good decision, it's a good foundation, and it proves that you're being wise. The same guy can go and build the same exact house with the same exact specs, but if he builds it on sand, when the rains come, it's going to fall and be destroyed. So he's simply saying the wise decision of building it on a rock brought blessing. And so in your life, when you're trying to see, is this person, does he have wisdom? Is, is there living, are they living wisely in their life? Is what they're saying wise? Then you first look at, the works that it produces. Is what they're saying producing in their life something that's worth following? Something that is lasting? Something that proves that there is wisdom there? You see, when a person is making good decisions in life, he or she is exhibiting wisdom. Uh, and for instance, when, when someone invests uh, his money in different areas and starts making a profit, we say, man, it's a good decision. Uh, j j just earlier, I was talking with Larry before the service started, and, and uh, uh, we, we were just talking about Disneyland. Somehow that came up. I don't know how, but it, it came up, and, then, uh, and he was saying, I remember being at Disneyland in 1978, and I simply made the comment, wouldn't you have liked to invest in 1978 in Disney stock? Uh, it would have been a really good decision. It would have been very profitable now in, in 2021 to have a lot of stock in Disney. We would say, man, that's a wise decision. Making something that is profitable, man, that, that makes a wise decision. James is saying the same thing. When you say something in your life, like, hey, um, I think it's a good thing to, to make church, church important in your life. If you make church important in your life, what does that lead to? Will somebody be able to see the results of that and say, yeah, that was wise, just like we would look at an investment in 1978 in Disney and say, oh, that was wise, because we, we in 2021 can look back and go, that's what the stock was at. Look what it's selling for now. That's a pretty wise choice of investing. Same thing in wisdom. How do we know if it was wise? Well, is what they're saying, is what we're saying, is it leading to something beneficial that way or not? That, that's why James says, let the person who says he's wise and endued, 
well, let's just see where those decisions that you're talking about have led you in your life. Have it led you to something of, 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 of blessing in your life or not? You see, the wisdom that James is talking about here, it, it begins with the proof of our works, but it doesn't stop there. He gives wisdom's proof, but then he gives wisdom's posture. Okay? And in this, what I, what I mean to say is the attitude in which we display our wisdom and the decisions that we're making. So it might be a good decision, but that decision, if it's going to be good, should be accompanied with meekness with it. All right? Now, now meekness has been defined as power under control. Uh, to be meek in the Christian life is to recognize that God is the one who gets the glory. He's the one that should be exalted. I'm not important. He's important. So, James is simply saying here, when you do something good and you make a wise decision, understand that it should be accompanied with some meekness in that. In other words, it shouldn't be, you see how great of an investor I am? I told you to put money in that stock and look what's going on. See, see I'm, I'm amazing at that. It's saying, no, no, no. Um, I, I did that. I felt good about that. I'm glad it's working out for me because... I just felt that the Lord and what I understood to do, I did. In the Christian life, it's simply saying that. It's simply saying, this is where the Lord's leading me. This is what his word teaches. And I'm following that. And I see that that decision, as I've done it with meekness, has brought blessing. That's how you're identifying wisdom. The attitude that goes with that decision. That's why Paul told Titus, there, look in your notes, Titus chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. He says, put them in mind, and he's talking to Titus to tell the church. So when he says put them, he's saying the church, the people in the church. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to, uh, to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. This was something that Paul said over and over again. He said it to the church at Galatia. Hey, be meek. A part of the fruit of the Spirit is having meekness. Understand it's not about you. Well, yeah, but look, look how successful I am. Hey, the, the good decisions and the wisdom that you've got, that's from God. Be sure to give God the glory. That's, that's part of being meek. That, that goes with the good decisions. So James says, how, how do you identify someone that's wise? Well, look at what they're talking about. If what they're talking about is what they're living and it's leading to that, great. And what attitude are they saying that with? Because pride cometh before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. James says, be sure that you're not following someone that's just prideful about his decision, but one that's meek. That's a sign of wisdom. So he gives us a declarative truth. All right, Who's going to be wise among you? Uh, those that are talking the talk and walking the walk. Doing that in meekness. But then he goes on to share with us a deceiving tale. He, he pivots from that declarative statement in verse number 13 of wisdom's description to what many are fooled by, which is the world's wisdom. The world's wisdom is the cubic zirconium, if I can say that, of the Christian life. Now, everybody knows, if you're not familiar with a cubic, am I saying, pronouncing that right, cubic zirconium, right? Z z zirconium, what? All right, well, Linda was correcting me, but I couldn't hear her. Cubic 
whatever, zirconium, zirconiac, whatever it is. It's a fake diamond. It looks just like a diamond. It looks so bright and shiny, but it's not the real thing. It's not nearly as tough. It can break to pieces, and its value is next to nothing. And let me tell you that in the Christian life, worldly wisdom is just like that cubic zirconium. Man, it looks nice, but it won't last you. It won't do anything. It is it, nothing that is that great. And so, so he, he begins to share a little bit of that. In verse number 14, James starts to, to say, listen, if, if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Understand that there is a worldly wisdom that can deceive you. So notice he says, first of all, worldly wisdom's seed. You see, it begins this story with the seed of envy. The word envy here is the Greek word zelos, and, and it means selfish ambition. Worldly wisdom always begins with me promoting me, right? The, 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 wisdom, uh, the wisdom of this world tells us, hey, you are something. You should get the credit. Hey, why are they overlooking your work at your job? Why are they overlooking what you do at church? Hey, don't you know, don't they understand that you're better than that, that you're bigger than that? Don't they understand how much you do? James says, that's worldly wisdom because that's envy. Now, the decisions that you're making, they're not based on meekness. They're based on envy, on self-promotion of, look what I have done. Look at me. Look how great I am. You see, this is something that the Pharisees did. If you remember the Pharisees, all right, they were the religious, you know, people, giants there of his day, and of Jesus' day, and if you remember, they would do good things. They would go to church, and they would help, and they would do, they were good things, but you know what? They did it all with envy, with self-promotion. In fact, one Pharisee in front of everybody prayed this prayer. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like him, that publican sinner. Oh, I'm so much better than him. Thank you, God, for not making me as wicked as that. Envy, self-promotion. I'm bigger than you. I'm more holy than you. I'm more of a Christian than you. James says, that's not wise. Paul told the church at Corinth, don't compare yourselves among yourselves. That's, that's, that's not wise. That's worldly wisdom. It starts with envy, and then he says it also includes strife. The Greek word erythea for strife literally means a party spirit. It's the idea of seeking office. So the Greeks would use this when they used the word erethea. They were using it as when a, when a politician runs for office and he's trying to get votes. That, that's what he was saying. So James is saying worldly wisdom says I got to promote myself and then I got to get the supporters behind me. I need you to tell me how great I am. And I, I, I need that, that, that support. I need that, that, uh, that vote if you will. I got to make sure that everybody's talking about how great I am, how good I am, how much I'm needed, how important I am. <laughs> you know, this is the exact opposite of what we should be doing with our mouths. That's the exact opposite of wisdom. And look, look in your notes. In, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, Paul says, look what Paul says. <laughs> this is what you ought to be doing with your mouth. This is what you ought to be doing. This is, this is true wisdom. He says, 
Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Paul said, listen, what we say, what we do, it should be for others, it shouldn't be us. There shouldn't be self-promotion. There shouldn't be this idea of, hey, you got to get support me, get behind me, tell me how great I am. No, 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 no. It's about others. Paul said, a lot of churches, you know what the problem is as I've, that I've, I've seen as I've traveled and planted different churches and try to go around to other churches? He said, I've noticed that there's a lot of people in church that it's all about them. There's no meekness. There's no wisdom there. They get up and they teach and they, they think because they get up and teach a class, suddenly I'm somebody. Oh, I'm a leader of this ministry. Suddenly I'm somebody. And James says, that's not wise. Paul says, that's not what leadership's about. That's not why God has given you that opportunity. That's not why God gave you a mouth so you can talk about how great you are. Yesterday, I don't know for whatever reason, I turned on uh, ESPN in the, in the afternoon, and they were uh, showing a fight of uh, Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali. Now, if there was someone that used their mouth to self-promote, it was Muhammad Ali. He knew how to sell a fight. The way he talked about himself, the way he kind of uh, made sure the glory is on him, was, it, it, it was amazing. But the Bible says that's not wise. That's the world's wisdom. The world's wisdom is, starts there. It starts with this envy and strife, and it turns to pride. He said, don't glory in that. And then it begins to tell lies about what the truth is, and it, it has to start kind of putting up this image of what it is even though it's not based on anything real and anything true. And this makes perfect sense to the world. That's why it's called worldly wisdom. Because the world says that's what you ought to do. There are literally major industries like social network that work on this idea, on this premise. James says that's not wise. That's not proof of a wise person. Turn away from that. That's the seed of worldly wisdom. And then he says, but there's, it doesn't stop there. From the seed, it goes to the root. And you notice in verse number 15, this descendeth, he said, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. From that seed of worldly wisdom, you go to the root. And you find that, first of all, it's earthly. That means that wisdom is dying. It doesn't last. It's corruptible. It's not, it's not good. It's not undefiled. It's, it's corruptible. That's why when we live by the worldly wisdom in our life, it only leads us to destruction. You say, oh, but all my friends are doing that. Yeah, and they're going to end up in the same place, alone, abandoned, not happy. Why? Because that's, that's worldly wisdom. It's something that is earthly. Secondly, it's something that is sensual. That, that, that word sensual means natural. It's unspiritual. All right? It has no life in God whatsoever. It flows through the appetites of our nature. So, in other words, worldly wisdom says, hey, how do you feel about that? Oh, okay, then that's good. Then that's what you should do. We hear it in our, in, our, uh, in our world a lot of times, right? Follow your heart. It'll never lead you wrong. Mm, that's not what the Bible says. 
Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Listen, if you're living your life by following your heart, you're, you're living in the wisdom of sensualness, of unspiritualness. You're not taking God into account at all. You're living it through your flesh, and that's not wisdom. That's worldly wisdom, but it's not true wisdom. And then he says it's devilish. In other words, it's demonic. This worldly wisdom promotes the lies of the devil himself, lies that will take us into bondage and into slavery. And he's been doing that since the beginning. Okay? He told Eve, oh, Eve, 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 don't walk away from the tree yet. Don't you see how good it is? Well, that sounds right, yeah. I mean, look how, you know, you know what? I hadn't, I hadn't noticed how nice that is. Wow. And he said, Eve, why don't, you, why don't you taste it? Oh, no, 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 no. I can't even touch it. They, God said, don't eat it and don't even touch it. Ha, ha. You know what, Eve? God's telling you that because he knows what will happen if you follow my wisdom. You'll be just like him. I mean, from the very beginning, it's been the same devilish lie. And the wisdom of this world just promotes that over and over and over again. Is it really that bad? Nothing's going to happen. Twisting and twisting and twisting. And the, 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 the world's wisdom is rooted in that. It's rooted in, oh, how I feel, sensual. It's devilish. It's, it's, it's away from God, apart from God, separated from God. James says, don't follow that. Not only do you see uh, the, the root of it, but notice that you'll see in the worldly or the wisdom of this world, the fruit that it brings. It says in verse 16, where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. What this wisdom produces is nothing more worth getting. It produces that which is evil. It brings about confusion, disorder. And when we live in the light of worldly wisdom, we will soon find ourselves not knowing what to do, where to go. Soon we'll be questioning everything God says. We'll be doubting his word. We'll be, we'll be living so opposite of where God wants us. We'll be the total opposite of wise. And James says, let's evaluate. How do you know if someone's wise? I can tell you if the wisdom that they have is of this world or if it's not. There's a deceiving way to look at wisdom. There's a deceiving story that it wants to tell you. But that wisdom is sensual. That wisdom is devilish. Get away from it. That's not the wisdom that you want to follow. It's not the wisdom that you want to have. It's just earthly and temporal. So then he gives us, in verse 17 and 18, a definitive trait. So then what is true wisdom? James now is going to contrast for us. Okay, I've, I've told you what worldly wisdom is. I've told you how you can identify it and what it does. But then if that's it, then how do we know what true wisdom is? What is something that we can hang our hat on when it comes to wisdom? What is something that we can take to the bank? What is something sure and consistent that will never change? What is that true wisdom? Well, he says, first of all, you need to look at true wisdom's producer. True wisdom's producer, this wisdom opposite from the worldly one is not from below, it's from above. 
So he says, first of all, in verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above. This wisdom that's different, this true wisdom is given by God himself to us, his children. It can't be manufactured by our own efforts. It's the result of determination. It's not the result, I'm sorry, of determination and hard work. It's a gift from God. So if you, if you see someone that's wise, you'll have to know this. Number one, is it something that they've received from God? By the way, you're not receiving anything if you don't have salvation. The only thing the Bible says that you received when we're not saved is destruction and condemnation. But those that are in Christ have received salvation. Now you receive the gifts that God wants to give you, and one of those gifts is wisdom. The producer of wisdom is from God himself. That's why in James 1.5 it says, if any lack wisdom... Let him ask of God. God's the one that gives it. He's the one that'll give you what you need. Ask of God. Then he says there in verse number 17, it's from above, but then he says at first it's pure. That means it's undefiled. There's no corruptness in it. Uh, true wisdom doesn't have selfish ambi ambition behind it. It doesn't have this idea of get behind me and tell me how great I am. That's not what true wisdom does. It's pure. Second, it says it's peaceable. This means it doesn't bring about that strife, that contention with others. It's not trying to compare itself. No, true wisdom doesn't do that. Thirdly, it's gentle and easily entreated. This means that it doesn't compromise the truth. It's firm in what the truth is, yet loving and doing so. Uh, it's important to understand it can accept questions and answer them in a sweet and loving spirit. I, I, I've seen uh, parents so many times not be able to allow their children to ask a question because they think it's an attack on them. I don't have an answer, so just, just stop. Don't stop asking questions. Do what I say. That's not wise. What, what we're teaching our children when we do that out of frustration, when we do that out of just being tired, what we're doing is we're shooing our children away from the source that could give them some wisdom, what's going to help them later on in life. That's why, that's why, that's why James, just, just listen, control your mouth and be wise in what you're doing. Because, listen, true wisdom is not afraid of questions. It welcomes them. It answers them lovingly. Not only do we see true wisdom's producer, but we also see true wisdom's practice. You see that it's not just gentle and easy to be entreated, but then it says full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. When true wisdom is put into action, then you will see what, that it is controlled by mercy. The, the word full, in, in if you use especially the King James Version of the Bible, you'll, you'll see the word full a lot. Um, it, it literally means controlled. So when you see in Ephesians, for instance, where it says, and be not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The word filled there, it's the same word as full here. It means controlled, be controlled by the Spirit. True wisdom is controlled by mercy. In other words, when you're truly looking at something in a wise way, you're being merciful to that. You're, you're going to show mercy to those that are needing that mercy. 
True wisdom gives mercy to others and shows mercy in circumstances and situations of life. That's why when somebody comes and asks you for some wise counsel, you should do it lovingly. It's not the time to tell them how they've messed up in everything in their life. It's a, it's a time to share with them mercy and show mercy. That, that requires you to, to love them. True wisdom will give you the words of mercy to share. But not only is there mercy, then there's a practice of fruitfulness. Jesus said, by your fruits ye shall know them. True wisdom always produces good, fruitful works and gets wonderfully tasting results. True wisdom does that, okay? It gets, it gets and produces fruitful works. The worldly wisdom leaves a bitter taste in your mouth, but true wisdom is sweet. And that's why when you get good counsel, wise counsel, man, it's so sweet. I can't tell you in the last six months of my life this year how many have spoken sweet counsel to me. And just been there to just, just say, man, I, I want to show you some mercy. They were wise in what they said. That's true wisdom. And then when you see true wisdom, it's decisive in its nature. That's what it means to, to when it says there in, 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 in verse 17, without partiality, it just means it's, divine. It, it's decisive. Okay, it, it makes a decision. It's not double-minded. That of doing the will of God is something that it's, it's singular focus. True wisdom seeks God's will and God's glory above all else. Without partiality. And then it says without hypocrisy. That means the practice of sincerity. True wisdom has sincerity and honesty as part of its fruit. Part of what it is and what it does. The practice of true wisdom. So James says, you want to know what true wisdom is? Well, remember the producer of true wisdom is from God. He gives you that gift so you can be wise. Then you practice that wisdom by showing mercy to others, by being sincere with them, by being decisive in what you're saying and doing. But then he ends with wisdom's product. Verse 18, the fruit of Righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. James says, let's look at the end result. Uh, the, the, the practice of worldly wisdom, sensual, earthly, demonic, and result, destruction. By the way, sometimes we wonder, why didn't the world get right? Because that's the world's wisdom. This is how the world is operating on a national level, not just here in the U.S., in every country. This is how we work. Government looks out for itself, not really for the people. I know in name it says, but we are here for the people. We represent the people. How many of y'all have understood and have lived long enough to understand that governments aren't really for the people? That's why you shouldn't put your hope in some government. Though I am thankful for governments that want to do what's right and place a, a good moral boundaries and that they want to live and, and try to operate on principles that are right, like honesty and, and integrity. I'm thankful for governments. That, but let's just be honest. The hope of, of our nation is and in, in, in it's living truly wise. Because worldly wisdom doesn't end with a nation at peace. 
But true wisdom does. True wisdom does. The product of true wisdom is peace. We'll have peace with God and peace with man. We'll have peace in our marriage and peace in our jobs, peace in our friendships, peace even with our enemies, peace with ourselves, peace with people around us. Isaiah 32, 17, and the work of righteousness shall be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. So here's the challenge this morning. I know I've gone a little bit longer explaining the challenge, so if I could summarize it as simply this. James says, use your tongue wisely. Pastor, how do I know if I'm using it wisely or not? Well, look at what worldly wisdom does and look at what true wisdom does. And if what you're talking about matches your life in true wisdom, then you'll have peace. If what you're talking about matches worldly wisdom, then you won't have peace. And James says, that's how you know. That's how you know. Use your tongue wisely. Not for envy and strife, but purity and peace. Don't follow the world's view of what it thinks that you should do and be. Follow God's view. Be sure to say, I wonder what the Bible says about that. I wonder what God would have me to do in this situation. To be able to do that, you got to know the producer. you got to go and ask him, God, what do I do in this situation? And then you got to put it in practice in your life and say, okay, now I know what God thinks about that situation, so now i got to live that. And as you put it in practice, not with partiality, with decisiveness, sincerity, then suddenly the product of that is peace. And now you can say, you know that person? Seemed like a wise person. Because I've seen in their life the result of their decisions seems like there's a lot of peace there. There's a lot of fruit. James says, that's how you know your faith is real. That your faith has real power. It's amazing when people, no matter how wicked they've been, when God changes them and gives them the power, it's amazing the influence they can have in others. It's amazing the change that our world can receive the impact that it feels when that happens. So this morning, simply this, let's use our tongue widely this week. Use your tongue wisely at work, in your home, with your family, with your wife or husband. Use your tongue wisely with others. Let's not be sensual and earthly and devilish. No, rather let's be merciful and loving and sincere this week let's pray and we'll be we'll be done father this morning using our tongue and how we use it how important it is oh father there's so much that is speaking into our lives today we go to work and we hear wisdom that work has we turn the news on or turn tv and they want to get their message of what they think wisdom is. And Father, how important it is to stop and pause and see what does God say true wisdom is. And Father, I pray that 
the power of our faith can be felt by others because we use our tongue wisely. Father, we all need it. Naturally, our, our mouths can get out of control. And so, Father, we need your omnipotent power. We need your spirit to lead and guide us so that what we say matches while we're walking. That our walk would be right and that our talk would be right. And so, Father, we ask you today, as your people, as followers of you, I, I pray that you help us in this week just to live a, a, a life that shares wisdom and that proves wisdom. And Father, may you, through that, bring the peace that we can enjoy and that we can live in. So help us to do that even today, we ask. In Jesus' precious name, amen.